Hey listeners, this week, another episode from the This Is What A Generation Sounds Like series, produced with the Europeans podcast and funded by Allianz Kulturstiftung. Today's episode is the story of Hannah Komar, a poet jailed for her activism in Belarus. And welcome back to the Europeans, the podcast that tries to put a human face on what's happening around this continent. I don't know why I sounded so unsure about that. We are doing it. We're putting a human face on what's happening around this continent. Yes, we are. Especially this week, because you are going to hear the latest episode in our little mini series, our critically acclaimed award winning mini series, if we can describe it like that or is it too boastful Katie? Very boastful but do it anyway. Good it's called This Is What A Generation Sounds Like and if you haven't heard one of these episodes before it's a series where we hand over the microphone to young Europeans to tell us their stories. And this week you're going to hear from a poet and activist called Hannah Komar. She's from Belarus. We first met her last year and at the time she talked about what it was like to be put in jail for taking part in the huge pro-democracy protests that shook Belarus two years ago. Protests against the dictator Alexander Lukashenko. We were immediately taken by Hannah's powerful story and we asked her to be a part of this series. We really wanted this series to include the voice of a young person who has had to fight for freedom. A lot of us Europeans take our freedoms for granted, but not all of us living here get to enjoy free elections. We don't all get to criticise those in power without worrying about it. Hannah is a European millennial who has been to jail just for asking to live in a democracy. When we first met Hannah, she was hoping to move to London to study creative writing. And that dream came true. She's now living in London, and that's where we recorded the story. But as you're here... Your heart and your body can be in different places. We have a phrase, It means the longer you say goodbye, the more tears you cry out. I think it's uh, the way that your psyche protects you. Saying, no, no worries. You're not living for a long time. And you're not leaving at all. <laughs> at the airport in Minsk, I was like, will I even get on the plane? This just kept going through my mind. Because they arrest people at the airports. I went to Serbia for a few days and I was coming back. They went through my whole luggage. And they were asking me if I was bringing any extremist literature with me. That's because I had the history of detention. In Minsk, I was renting a room near the Stella Obelisk, the neighborhood at the heart of the protest. I left at 2 a.m. in the rain. So I could only hear the rain, my steps and the wheels of the suitcase. And that was a nice moment to say see you to my neighborhood because I really loved it. Mm -hmm. 
Twelve hours later, I was dragging all my stuff to a quiet street in a sunny and safe North London. I found this place for another Belarusian. I hadn't met her before, but her name is Anna. And she welcomed me and asked, shall we hug? Вздовж дороги ни кветок, ни слез, только звон стоит в ушу. Я хочу быть дном, телом своим. London felt like freedom straight away. It was in the air. Maybe it was in people's body language. I was, you know, in a kind of, in a state of shock. Very, very kind of soft shock, right? It's still, it's a huge change. My mind was playing this song like, it's just a little journey, you're just traveling. It wasn't, and I knew it. And I knew it was a big change and this huge uh, suitcase wouldn't let me forget. <laughs> only packed essentials, but one of those essentials was a wedding dress. It used to belong to my friend's grandma. It wasn't a very practical decision bringing this really old, fragile dress with me to London, but this wasn't just a dress. And I saw it, and I thought it was a perfect metaphor of Belarus, because before the beginning of the protest, Lukashenko said in one of his speeches something like, Belarus is my beloved, you know, like a woman, right? Belarus is my beloved. You don't let go of your beloved. It's a perfect metaphor of an abusive relationship. The tyrant's abusive relationship with a whole country, you know, as an abusive relationship of a man with a woman. There were other clothes that I couldn't leave behind either. A white hoodie. That one was a reminder of the days when the streets of Minsk were like a sea of protesters, all of us wearing white. Clothes that I wore in jail. They hang together in my wardrobe, a little personal museum of protest clothes in London. And, and the trousers, I wore them, and the sneakers, oh my goodness. I wore them in jail, yeah, in prison. Every time I put on those clothes, I remember, you know, I'm in that place at that time with those people. I know it was real. Sometimes it feels like a bit of violence that, you know, like, why do, do I do it to myself? Why don't I get rid of those clothes, but I can't? Main streets and squares in Minsk have been sealed off tonight after a state-run exit poll suggested the country's authoritarian leader, Alexander Lukashenko, had won the general election by a wide margin. There was this moment in 2020. Outrage and demand for change unfolding right now. It felt like the whole world was watching Belarus and finally paying attention. Feels like a long time ago. Tens of thousands of people got arrested that summer for standing up to dictatorship. But Lukashenko is still in power. But for me, the election night was the night that changed my life forever. It was the night we stood up and we said, We want change. 
a lot of people in the cars, you know, the music was playing and they were like sticking out their hands and giving you a high five as you were walking. That was like a beautiful dream. We didn't know each other, but we all felt so connected and so close. We saw a lot of violence on the streets. I still remember the sound of the police batons. That was pretty terrifying. But when we weren't being beaten down, the protests were some of the most beautiful moments in my life. And we kept singing and singing and singing as if it was the magic circle, you know, that protected us, that as long as we were singing, we were defended. That, that was our defense, some magical witchcraft, you know. And the policemen in their black uniforms and their black balaclavas, they were like ravens just around us, you know, waiting for us to make a mistake. How did I end up in prison? It was an evening in September. I was wearing the white hoodie, the one that's now hanging in my museum of protest clothes. We were mostly women in the crowd, and we were yelling and yelling and yelling at these masked men who seemed more like monsters than humans. First, I think I was like asking them. Please, 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 leave, go away, let us be. They were pulling people out. Some people would fall down. It was like screams and we were singing, my goodness. So I stood up and started shouting at them. That night, something snapped in me. I wasn't controlling myself because the situation of violence, which was similar to the situation of the violence at home, in my home, that I experienced as a child, Back then, I was too small to be able to defend myself. But that was a situation where I was not a child anymore. What made me even more angry and restless is that I saw two of my female friends taken to the policeman before that. And I was like, how can I leave now if my friends are there? It just didn't feel right. And I obviously didn't think about the consequences. This is not a situation where you can actually use your brain. It was this hysteria, collective hysteria. I shouted and shouted until one of the officers grabbed me. This big, big guy, like a bull, you know, and his eyes were like red eyes and he was this, this furious. I'm fucking fed up with you, he said. And he threw me into the policeman with the others. The door slammed behind us. I had no idea what was going to happen to me behind bars. We knew that women had been raped. We didn't know if the same terrible things were going to happen to us. 
You've chosen one for yourself. The prison guards joked between themselves while we were standing faces to the wall. In prison, the only constant was the uncertainty. How long would we be here? Would they beat us? Or worse? The thing that kept me going was the other women in the cell. Four women in this brutal space, with a stinky toilet, metal bunks that left bruises on your body, the cold, the cockroaches. Before we knew it, the four of us were sharing the most intimate things with each other. Secrets, confessions, fantasies. We talked a lot about men and sex. My psychotherapist told me later that people often start talking about physical things in these kind of situations. It's a way of reconnecting with your body when something traumatic is happening. Within those nine days in prison, we only were taken to shower once. It was a big celebration. <laughs> or like a birthday, you know, <laughs> because you do feel reborn after five days of not being able to take a shower. So four women, four young women, and then the deodorant we had, and it was men's deodorant. And we all shared this deodorant and the girls would sniff it and would be like, oh my God, this is the smell of a man. <laughs> there were a lot of moments like this. These little moments of intense feminine closeness. On my last day in prison, three of us were sitting, one in front of the other, braiding each other's hair, almost like bonobos grooming each other. <laughs> as, as a friend of mine then joked when I was released and she saw me, she said, did you have like a beauty salon there or what? But why it was so important? Because I felt connection with the tradition, because I know that women used to do that. They would gather in one house, for example, and they would braid each other's hair and they would sing songs and probably share stories. And it's a lost tradition, but I think it's, it's very powerful, you know, to, to reconnect with those female energies. So there was, with this beautifully braided hair, about to taste freedom again after nine days of being locked up. Nine days of metal prison doors banging, of cursing, of humiliation and isolation. The corridor to the prison exit felt like the longest tunnel in the world. I was just, you know, like elbowing my way through to the other ex-prisoners by then. Just get out of there. And when I was out of the gates, it was dark. But I saw there were loads of people. And I just rushed some direction. And there was a person who opened their arms for me. And I just, you know, fell into their arms and, and burst into tears immediately. <laughs> but I didn't even see who that person who gave me a hug was and was my sister. 
When you're in prison, showing how you feel is a luxury. You can't let yourself break down because it might make the others break down too. So like everyone else, I'd just been holding it all in and suddenly all these emotions came pouring out. It was so overwhelming to see how many people cared that I was in prison. On Facebook, Messenger, and Instagram, and Telegram, WhatsApp, you know, emailed from all kinds of people. Some people sent me messages every day. I, I remember the girl from Bulgaria who I only met briefly. She like texted me that if you need a safe place, you can come to my place. You can, you know, stay with me. I would be happy to help you in whatever way I can. Yeah, but they felt like I had this huge family and that I knew that I was not alone. I stayed away from the protest for maybe 10 days. There was a lot to think about. I felt very unsafe and anxious. But then I went back to the streets. So I would make a list and leave it in the flat for my flatmate. What I had in my bag and what I would need her to send me to prison in case I was detained. I couldn't not fight, even though going back to prison was the last thing I wanted. It was later when you could see that another person in prison just didn't make any difference anymore. Yeah, because it didn't cause that much reaction and that it would only bring more trouble, you know, to your friends and family. So far, sanctions have not persuaded Lukashenko to open the doors of his Protests jail. Protests call for change was loud and clear here at this monument in Minsk, but have since been silenced and many have fled Belarus or are living in fear. This is a country controlled by... The longer man. the protest went on, the more it felt like... I could be more useful if I was free than if I was behind bars. And then in the spring, I found out that I'd won this prestigious scholarship to go and study in London. I think I was jumping up <laughs> and, and shouting from with joy. I was so excited just to be traveling again, to be seen somewhere else. It had always been expensive to travel from Belarus. But in 2020, the country got shut off by the government almost completely. They used the pandemic as an excuse. Then, Tonight, after a Ryanair plane flying from Greece to Lithuania was diverted to They Minsk. hijacked a plane just to detain an activist. And the few remaining airlines stopped coming. The country really felt like a giant prison. So there I was, leaving Belarus. When the border guards at Hisaru checked my passport, that's when I knew. I was in a safe place. They were friendly, 
And I didn't feel like I wanted to run away just at the sight of a man in a uniform. My feet felt firmly on the ground. But on day three, I had a panic attack at my new university. PTSD had caught up with me, post-traumatic stress. Seeing Londoners so relaxed, living their lives free from terror, it was hard for me to even comprehend. All these freedoms, they are like people still need to fight for them. In Belarus, we can't even really fight for them because you just end up in prison or persecuted or exiled or dead. British people, I find them hard to figure out too. I think Belarusians are pretty straightforward. Well, I'm a very straightforward person. I like to be honest. And I like when other people are honest with me. I just need to know what people really think, you know. And I've been pretty shocked at how little some of my new classmates seem to know about the world. Like my classmate, she's like in her early 20s. And after three months of being in the same class with me, she asked in a very like this uh, carefree, unconcerned manner, uh, well, where is Belarus? Uh, okay. <laughs> Once during a playwriting class, our professor asked us to think about a place we've never been. Like a prison, she said. Those days I was crying and crying and crying. I've started seeing a therapist online in Belarus. She's helped me a lot, and she doesn't ask me to pay. A lot of therapists do this in Belarus. It's their way of supporting the resistance. What I'm struggling with is the guilt of living. I've been the person who used to say, I'm not leaving Belarus. I'm going to stay. I'll be here. So I saw that did I betray my values? Did I betray my principles? The people who we've been fighting together, you know? And they are still there, but I am now living in this safe place. My friends back home are happy for me that I'm here, safe and following my dreams. But I'm finding it hard to deal with the fact that I'm not there with them. And I'm struggling with this idea that it might not be safe to go home. I could get arrested again for my activism, this time for years. The other day, I was watching this Russian blogger, Yuri Dudz, who interviewed Belarusians who'd left the country. And he asked them, have you considered that you might never go back? My, my knees got wobbly, you know. I was, felt absolutely desperate thinking about it. And a couple of months ago, when I just came here, I was so certain that I was going back to Belarus the latest in January 2023. But people kept asking me what my plans were and kept telling me that maybe I should be more realistic and maybe things won't improve in a year. 
which is very painful to think about. And now with the war in Ukraine, a war that Lukashenko has got Belarus mixed up in, I don't know anything anymore. Physically, I'm in London, but my mind and my heart are still in Belarus. And now also in Ukraine, where I have hundreds of friends. One of the things dictators do is they try to kill personal and collective memory. I grieve for all the personal stories, burned, lost and buried. And I'm trying to save as much of ours as I can. That's why I keep that little museum of protest clothes in my bedroom. I was asked some time ago to write an essay about the future of Belarus. And I struggled with that because of the word future. It scared me a lot. It still does. But in the process, I came to realize that ideal Belarus for me is a place and time when we can even think of the future. I still don't know what freedom is really. And I think that's I'm exploring thanks to all these events. It's funny to say thanks because these are in many ways horrible events. But thanks to them, I'm actually figuring out what freedom is, what my values are, you know, and what I'm ready to do for them. As simple as it, as it sounds, freedom is maybe just, you know, when you can enjoy the simple joys. Enjoy the simple joys. This episode was produced by Hannah Comer and me, Katie Lee. Sound design was by Katz Laszlo and Wojciech Alexiak, with mixing and mastering by Wojciech Alexiak. Our editors were Katz Laszlo and Dominic Kramer. Thank you so much to our collaborators at Are We Europe and to Allianz Kulturstiftung for funding this episode. And of course, many thanks to our Patreon supporters who are generously helping to keep this podcast going. The music you're listening to right now is Naviband with a protest song, Girl in White. You also heard Volne Hor singing Mahudne Borja, which has long been a freedom anthem in Belarus. Ballerina by Yehezkel Raz. Ballerina remix by Yehezkel Raz and Lalinea. Blue Dot Sessions, and Papa Bo mixing tracks by Moita, live during the protests in Minsk. Our theme music is by Jim Barn. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Pain cannot be so with flowers How many will be betrayed? How many tears on the way? Till the dawn breaks After the dark hours Till the dawn breaks After the dark hours Dear and a world show no fear Mighty slowly as hope is near Proud girl you white Daring to dream and you're ready to fight No more lies will be leave Where our hearts on our sleeves Now we are sure The blood that they don't want hurt anymore